0: John chapter 8, so we're at tonight, uh, this morning. John chapter 8. I am so glad to see you in church today. And many of you, I've prayed for you this week, that uh, you would be here and that we would be able to be together and, and uh, spend this time together. So I'm glad uh, to see you. Uh, there was a young woman teacher who was uh, of obvious liberal tendencies, and she was explaining to her class of small children uh, how she is an atheist. And uh, she asked her class if they are atheists too. Of course, they're small children, not really knowing what that is, but wanting to be like their teacher, their hands all eagerly shot up and they raised their hands saying that they also were atheists. That was one exception though. Uh, Lucy, who uh, had not gone along with the crowd, and she kept her hand down and so her teacher asked her, she said, Lucy, uh, why didn't you raise your hand? She said, well, I'm not an atheist, I'm a Christian. Uh, the teacher got a little upset, face got a little red, uh, having to debate this with a child. Uh, so she said that, uh, why are you a Christian, Lucy? She said, well, my my dad was a Christian, my is a Christian, my mom is a Christian, and so I'm a Christian too. The teacher said, Lucy, that's no reason. What if your mom was a moron, your dad was a moron, what would that make you? And she goes, well, I guess it would make me an atheist, you're right, so... grateful that we don't have that misconception. Amen. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit in the life of Christ. And uh, as, we, as we break down the fruits and how they can live in our life, we look to the perfect example, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, to how he lived on earth <coughs> and showed us how to do it. Now today, I am revisiting a passage that we used a few weeks ago when we talked about the gentleness of Jesus. So we're going to use the same passage, and that's kind of the wonderful thing about the Bible. Uh, You can read the same passage and get different things from it, amen? So same passage, different message, but let's look today, if we will, at verse number 1 of chapter 8 as we consider the meekness of Jesus. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto her, Unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, they, that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you... Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. They which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus lifted up himself and saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Today I want to speak on the meekness of Jesus. Now after a pastor preached at a church one time, uh, he was standing in the back and the people were coming through and, and one lady came through and she uh, was just gushing that how wonderful the message was. She said, that was so good and I, I took uh, good notes and I listened and it was, uh, it was just a very inspiring message and she says, preacher I want you to know everything you said applies to someone I know. Uh, Today, I want you to take this and apply it to you, okay? Because each and every one of us can improve in this area. I promise you, uh, it'll be a help. Uh, Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the opportunity we have to get together today, learn from your word. Now, I pray, Lord, that we would not waste our time but by just tuning this out. But I pray we'd hear it, we'd apply it, we would change. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. As we go through the message today, we're going to interchange the words meekness and humility. Now we're talking about meekness, but meekness and humility are uh, really much the same thing with different aspects. When we talk about allowing the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our life, we're really contrasting two different, uh, if, you want to, if you want to call it moral reformation and spiritual transformation. These are different concepts. Jonathan Edwards wrote uh, many years ago a thesis Uh, called the nature of true virtue. In that, he distinguishes between what he calls common virtue and true virtue. Uh, He says that in common virtue, people, if this produces people who are honest, they're generous, they're civil, but this is not the same as true virtue. In common virtue, the deepest, uh, really the habits of the heart and your life are restrained. And the result of that is that people are obedient and they do the right thing. In true virtue, the, f- the fear and pride of your heart are actually dissolved and they're disintegrated at the root and then the change comes from within. Now, in other words, then moral reformation looks at the rules. Spiritual transformation looks at the ruler and it makes an entire big difference in your life whether you're looking at a bunch of rules or you're making the person, the focus of your life and so uh, religion does this religion does what we call common virtue it modifies actions but it uses fear and pride out of fear and pride you can make a person obedient they can live under strict rules uh, but in true virtue the fear and pride in that heart are actually dissolved they're disintegrated at the root and uh, again the change comes from within and so spiritual transformation melts and shapes and changes the heart. This is the primary difference between religion and the spirit-filled life. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 addresses this very thing. It begins by saying, and be not conformed to this world. Because, friend, by the way, that's exactly what the world will do to you. It will conform you. And the word conform means to fashion oneself according to another's pattern. Like Like one of those burger presses. You ever use one of them, put a ball of meat? into a burger press and then you press it together and out comes a perfectly shaped burger. Well, that's what conforming is a picture of. That's what the world does to you. That's what religion will do. It's not real because you are just conformed into another person's shape. But then this verse continues on. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This word transform is different. It means to change into another form to transfigure this is real change and it's from the inside now to learn how to more accurately change in our life and transform we look to the uh, Lord Jesus Christ the character of Christ as we look to him and see how he relates to us uh, I don't know about you but as we've been looking at different areas of his life his uh, his character can change our character and it can happen from the inside out then we're changed, not just modified. By the way, isn't that what you want from your children? Do you want to have them uh, forced into a certain obedience or would you like a changed heart? Changed heart or modified behavior? I think we'd all choose the changed heart. Now today we look at another one of the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus reveals in his character. Paul says one of the fruits of the Spirit is meekness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This is as unexpected today as when he said it. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You would think that Jesus said, would say something like, blessed are the meek, for they shall be comforted. (laughs) Uh, They're meek, right? Uh, Remember what he says in his famous of all invitations. Uh, He talks about, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but when you think of meek people, what do you think of when you think of a meek person? Uh, we would think often of poor, distressed, anxious, like milk toast type people, uh, easily pushed over, swayed by any wind and direction. You'd expect Jesus to say, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall be cheered up, <laughs> they shall be bucked up, they shall be strengthened." But He doesn't say that. He says, "Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." That's interesting to me. Uh, listen to what He said in Matthew 11:28: "Come unto Me, all ye that are." that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now listen very carefully. I will give you rest. How? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. When you think of meek people, you think of people that are constantly worrying and wringing their hands and stressed out and weak and and all those type of things we often Look or, or attribute to meekness, but Jesus says, You will never get rest until you learn from me how to be meek. Rest comes from meekness it 's interesting, and it connects those two uh, and truly, there is rest in meekness. The meek man cares not who is greater than he is he's long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort, and so He stops pretending. He stops to try to earn uh, that good name that he thinks is so important or that reputation. Meekness makes it about Christ, not about the world around you. And that gives us rest. You see, meekness is the humility to see what we are is more important than what other people think we are. Because that's character versus reputation. We talked about that Wednesday night. All the while, not taking your eyes off your Christian duty. Now, we do have a problem when we look at meekness, not only that many of us don't have it in our life the way we should, but we don't even really understand it. Because the way Jesus talks about meekness isn't the way that it fits in our mind, it's not the way that we, that, that matches our conception of meekness. In our text today, we have a great example of Jesus' meekness and lowliness. I want to do two things this morning. I want to first look, let, let's let Jesus clarify what meekness is. Is that fair? and then let's see how uh, we can put it and instill it in our life. There are two things that we need to do. We need to understand what it is, and we need to see how it grows in our life. First of all, what is it? Now, the text here, we see the Pharisees caught a woman uh, in adultery, and they drag her in front of Jesus. I'm not going to (coughs) go into great detail of the story. We did that a few weeks ago as we went through this, but twice you have the phrase taken in adultery. The reason this is so important is that in the Mosaic Law, we find very severe penalties for a lot of sins. Have you ever read the Old Testament? Oh, wow. You know, they do that. It's like you get stoned for this, you get stoned for that. You look at a person wrong, you get stoned. Uh, you have this, this, this thing you do wrong. You get it seems like it's stoned for everything in the Old Testament. However, uh, I'm exaggerating because it is actually quite fair. Uh, it doesn't matter how you look at me. I won't throw rocks, okay? Not always. Uh, but here... Understand something about the law of Moses. Although the severe or the penalties are more severe than maybe our law might be, the laws of evidence were much stricter. In order to convict someone of adultery, it was not enough to say that we witnesses saw him and her coming out of the bedroom. No, the law of Moses said two witnesses have to see the very act happen. And because this law was very strict, almost nobody was ever convicted of adultery. You remember the The quotes I read when we first went over this about how if a woman got caught more than two every seven years, they would consider that a very bloody time because it was just something that did not happen that often. Uh, Today, all you have to do is convince a jury. Uh, Not then. You had to be absolutely certain. That's why two times uh, through this passage, it says, verse four, it says, in the very act. I want to make it clear. Now, this is so rare that's why the Pharisees think they got a slam dunk right here. They have finally got what they need to take Jesus down. And so they drag her in front of Jesus, and they say, this is what the law of Moses says. What say you? What do you say about it? Uh, the law of Moses says she should be stoned. It says so in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But what sayest thou? Uh, they think they have him in the, on the horns of a dilemma, and it is a brilliant trap they've set for it. Because Jesus really can't answer either way. Uh, he, if, if, on the one hand, if he would say, well, save the woman. Uh, ignore the law of God and save the woman. We should not stone her. Then they can say, aha, you say this is your Messiah. You say he's from God and yet he tramples on the law of God. Can't say that. On the other hand, uh, if he says, well, you have to respect the law. The law is the law. I guess she has to be stoned. Then they'd have him again. You see, the Pharisees hated Jesus' ministry. They hated all this talk about grace and love and mercy and forgiveness, and they hated the people that he drew to himself with that message. He drew prostitutes and 'er ne'er-do-wells and criminals and publicans and all these type of people they want not have anything to do with. And so, uh, because Jesus talked about all this love, grace, and forgiveness, now they have him. Because if they say, if he says, yes, stone her... Then they can say to the people, ha, there's your Messiah coming to me all ye that are heavy laden, and I'll have you stoned. Some Messiah you have there, they got him trapped. There's nothing he can say. He can't say stoner. He can't say don't stone her. Now, what they're trying to prove, and I don't want you to miss this because this is still true for today. What they're trying to prove is that grace, practically speaking, cannot be legitimate you're either going to have to trample on her, the sinner, the woman, or you're going to have to trample on the law. In other words, you're going to have to be moral and trample on people, or you're going to have to be compassionate and trample on morality. You can't have both. You've got to have one or the other. Now, people still claim something along those lines today in religion. But let me show you Jesus' response. It shows us a tremendous amount about meekness. Now, Dr. Travis Bradbury writes for the Huffington Post, He wrote a piece uh, entitled Successful People and Contradictory Personality Traits. Instead of a successful person having just one personality trait, he claims in this article, uh, successful people often have completely different personality traits that work together to combine, and they combine so they have these built in paradoxes that allow people to overcome obstacles that otherwise they could not do. So let's, we can even put a term to it. Paradoxical personality. That's what Jesus shows us in this response. Uh, It solves the dilemma the Pharisees put in front of him, and it solves the dilemma for the woman as far as her sin problem. Let's break it down very quickly. If you're meek, if you have meekness in your heart and your life, then you pair in your personality tremendous gentleness and also incredible courage. In other words, if you're gentle and not brave, you're not meek. If you're brave and not gentle... You're not meek. Let's look at both of them very quickly. First of all, gentleness. One of the best things that we see about Jesus here, unlike the Pharisees, he does not treat this woman like she's beneath him. Not not anytime. He does not disrespect her. He doesn't spit on her. He doesn't throw a scowl at her. He does not treat her like she's less than a human being. Uh, So uh, you don't, (coughs) excuse me, and they do, by the way. The Pharisees are scornful. Uh, they're dripping with disdain. They drag her in front of all these people. They do the very best to embarrass her to the, to, the, uh, to the nth degree. But if you have meekness, you're never arrogant toward people. You don't look down on people. You don't speak with a condescending air like you're better than other people. You don't mock or abuse people. You're not filled with scorn at those below you, however you might see that. This woman was clearly below Jesus in her station and in her morality. And yet, uh, even though she was below him, he did not treat her like she was below him. Even though she was wrong, he was incredibly gentle. Uh, What that means, on the one hand, is that a meek person is a gentle person. They are not disdainful. Uh, And could we not use help in this area in our life? We need to be more gentle. Uh, we, need to, we have no right to look down on our, our noses at people. We, should, uh, we can, and by the way, we should be offended by sin, but not personally offended. Being offended for God in His holiness. Uh, we had better get it in our heads, in our hearts, friends. When we were dead, He gave us life. When we were enemies, He gave Himself for us. When we were undeserving, He gave us grace. We better realize that in ourselves, we are no better and no higher than the vilest of sinners. It is only the mercy of God's grace that brought us to where we are in our life. Uh, We had better watch our attitudes then and how we treat people and the tone of voice that we use with others. Think about Jesus as He is bending down and washing the disciples' feet, even the one that was going to betray Him. Think about Jesus and how He treated Peter after Peter's great failure. uh, He said, tell my disciples and Peter. Peter. Think about Thomas after he doubted Jesus raising from the dead, after Jesus told him he would raise from the dead. And instead of chiding him or jumping all over him, he just says, Behold, the nails prints in my hands and the sword spear in my side here. uh, And and then, you know, encouraged him not to doubt anymore. Uh, He had gentleness, and that's part of weakness. or, Or, I'm sorry, meekness. The second part of his paradoxical personality is courage. When they came at Jesus, remember what we talked about last time, he started texting. So that's all he did. He didn't, he didn't uh, get one bit, seem one bit worried about it. They started coming to him. And by the way, this is a serious situation. This is a crisis. This is a huge issue. His messiahship is at stake. The very woman's life is at stake. And he's texting in the dirt, doodling on the ground, writing. What was he writing? It doesn't matter. The point is he's composed. He is poised. He is calm. He is fearless. When we look at the Bible word for meekness, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew eleven twenty nine: 29, I am meek and lowly in heart. <coughs> it's the same Greek word in every uh, place in the New Testament. Pahros is the original word. It has different forms, but it comes from a word that means a tamed, wild animal. Like a powerful wild horse who has been tamed uh, and is now submissive and receptive to the writer. When I was 14 years old, in one summer, I read through the entire series of the Black Stallion novels. I don't know if you ever read them as a kid, but then I saw the Black Stallion movie, and you might have seen that growing up, Uh, and uh, it's it's a movie that's safe for the family, and it's a great story about this boy and this horse. They find themselves, wild horse, find themselves on a on an island shipwrecked and it's just them two and the horse is as wild as a deer but as time goes on uh, this young boy soon jumps on the back of this incredibly powerful horse that they call the black and he rides him through the surf on the island and then finally at the end of the movie to a victory in a race horse no one but the boy could ride him or handle him that enormous power was now submissive and responsive responsive to the desires of an 11-year-old boy. That's the picture of meekness. Great power under control. I love what A.W. Tozer wrote. He said this, The meek man is not a human mouse, afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows that he is as weak and helpless as God has declared him to be, but paradoxically, there's that word again, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. That's, humili- that's, that's meekness. Jesus Christ did not give up his power, if you consider the meekness of Jesus he didn't give up his greatness. When he was arrested in Matthew 26:53, he says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently uh, give me more than 12 legions of angels? Uh, what, he still had his power. He still had his glory. He's just not exercising it. Why not? Because he has humbled himself. That's meekness. First Peter, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so here he is, he's doodling in the dirt. <coughs> he, he could have wiped them out with a single word, but he doesn't. He tries to teach them. He tries to open their eyes. He tries to wake them up. Being meek, certainly part of that is being gentle, but courage is a part of meekness too. What an unfortunate thing that meekness and weakness rhyme in English. We, we, we equate the two. It's kind of like that term, happy wife, happy life. Don't you wish husband rhymed, rhymed with life? I would like if husband rhymed with life. Uh, but we, we, these rhyming words we put together and Meekness and weakness, they often are attributed to one another. Uh, but look at Moses. If you go to the Bible, he's a shepherd, a simple shepherd. Walks into Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at that time, and he says, hey, let my people go. Uh, he's a shepherd. He's a nobody. He said, I, wanna, I want you to give up your entire slave forced labor. I want you, you to give up the cornerstone of your economic superiority. I want you to release all of the Jews. And by the way, make it snappy. Let's get going. Moses in front of Pharaoh. How how could he do that? I'll tell you how. In Numbers chapter 12 verse 3, the Bible says Moses was the most meekest man on the earth. He was the meekest man on earth. You see, in biblical understanding, that would be saying he was the strongest. He was the most capable because he was the meekest. Uh, How can this be? Because this goes so against our thinking. And I don't want you to miss this important aspect of meekness here, because Jesus said in His ministry, Mark chapter two, He could forgive sins. Luke ten eighteen, He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. John eight fifty eight, He said, Verily I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. He said in John 17, 5, the glory I had with thee before the world was. He said he existed before earth was even created. He made all these incredible claims. He never ever diminished himself. But here's the interesting thing. He acts like nothing, but he knows he's not. He just acted like nothing because he was humble. That's meekness. See, this is the direct opposite from the way we operate. What we do is we take... Uh, We take where we feel inferior and we try to act superior to compensate for it. That's what we do in our life. So, instead of Jesus who was superior and acted inferior on our behalf. What a blessing. He puts all his power and his glory uh, below the interest of other people. Real humility, friend, is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And it not ever diminish who he was. Again, we know we are weak and helpless in and of ourselves. That's humility. But paradoxically, we know that with God, we have the power to move mountains. That's a promise from God as well. That's courage. We need gentleness, we need courage, and we need humility in our meekness. Notice this story uh, Jesus said in in verse 7 of our story here. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, who could? Who could throw a stone? There was one person there that could throw a stone. None of those knuckleheads standing around could, but he could have. He was the only person who had the right, the authority, uh, and, and it would have been correct for him to throw a stone. But he did not. That's meekness. He could have, but he could have destroyed her, but he didn't. That's meekness. So what does he do if he doesn't cast a stone at her? Well, <coughs> He can't cast it away because there's a debt there. Debt doesn't just go into thin air. Forgiveness does not simply mean, oh, you know what? You messed up. Just forget it. Don't worry about it. No, no. Somebody absorbs the debt. Somebody has to absorb it. And so, figuratively, he casts the stone at his own feet. Why? Because he's saying, I don't condemn you because I'm going to be condemned for you. What a blessing. No one will fling to you, lady, a stone of God's wrath because I will be crushed under the mountain of His wrath and it'll be for you. Neither do I condemn thee. You see here uh, when Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee, but if you go to Mark chapter 10, verse 33, the Bible says, the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes and they shall condemn Him to death. He's condemned for us whom he does not condemn. Hallelujah. That's a blessing. That's the beauty of being a Christian. By the way, that's the only reason Paul can say in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 now there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of being a Christian. You see, every religion, religion comes and says, Either you're guilty, uh, either you're not guilty and you're not condemned, or you are guilty and you're condemned. In Christ, you are guilty. But you're not condemned. Isn't that good? You are a sinner, but yet you're utterly accepted. It's the meekness of Jesus that saves us. He's the great stallion, if you will, and we're the little kid. He puts all his power at our disposal. He saves us through his meekness, and that's what changes us. We see that in this story. In the end, everybody's gone. Nobody is there but them, just him and that lady. She was converted. She was changed. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? A man had two sons, and one goes off into the wild and takes his money and (coughs) wastes it with riotous living, wastes everything he has, finds himself uh, finally in a pig pen with nowhere to go and decides to go home and be a servant. The elder brother stayed home and was very moral, but in the end, the younger brother is welcome, and the older brother, despite all his morality, is alienated from the father. And here we have the same thing again. All of the elder brothers were sent away. They all dropped their rocks and walked off. One lady, the younger brother type, here is accepted and forgiven. Thanks to the meekness of Jesus, he could have thrown a stone at her, but he took that on himself, and he wants to do the same thing for you today, friend. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, he'll take your punishment He'll, he'll pay for your debt on your behalf, a debt you could never pay, that you could never cover on your own, and He'll pay it for you. He'll absorb your debt. That's a blessing. I want to, when we come to uh, uh, the law, the, Bible say, uh, the law says change who you are and I'll accept you. But we come to the cross, I accept you. I forgive you. Now let me work within you to transform you. Man, ain't that better? not that better than religion? You got to do this. You have to do that. You have to live just certain way and then we'll accept you in. No, no. Uh, Jesus takes you as you are, but he does not leave you as you were. In this story, we see the right order uh, for forgiveness. The right order is neither do I condemn you, Go and sin no more. He gives grace and acceptance before you overcome your sin. You don't, cons- you don't take care of your sin or clean up your life in order to get grace and forgiveness. You get grace and forgiveness for your sin accepted in whatever location you are and then He changes and transforms you from there. What a blessing. That's the meekness of Jesus. I want to show you one more thing in closing. If you go to John chapter 13, uh, there's a fantastic picture here of Jesus that shows his meekness, I think, better than any other place in the Bible. The scene is the Last Supper. It's Jesus last night alive. He'll be crucified the next morning. He's spending this last evening with his disciples. And look at what it says in verse number 3. or Sorry. uh, Yeah, verse 3, John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Now, stop and absorb that verse. Jesus is fully conscious of who he is. The lordship of the universe belongs to him. The shining seraphim, the angels, the archangels, they all bow before him. He knew his place was the very throne of God. He has all authority. And it's important for us to see in the Bible here what does he do as soon as he recognizes that authority? And he knows who he is. He is the master of the universe, the creator of all. What does he do with it? Look at the next verse. He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and he took a towel and he girded himself. What is that? What do we do when we get some authority? What do we do when we get a position? We use it, don't we? And we'll sometimes lord it over other people. Jesus, knowing he's the greatest in the universe, he has all power, all authority, literally, picks up a towel, he bends down, and he washes the feet of his disciples. That's incredible to me. That's probably the best picture of meekness that we can find in the Bible. All power, still serving. You see, I believe, friend, that when we get saved, symbolically, God gives us a towel. That might be a spiritual gift; it might be an ability, and we're to serve Him with that towel. And uh, at the end, when we get done with our life, and and again, I'm speaking figuratively, but we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and. We hand him a towel. But I don't think that whoever has the cleanest towel will probably be the most blessed. It's probably the person whose towel is pretty filthy, pretty nasty. A lot of stuff done with that towel. People helped. Cleaned up lives. Feet washed. Because you start washing people's feet, they'll mess up your towel. You start serving people, dirty up your towel. But God doesn't want us to take our talents and our gifts and our abilities and just throw them aside. He wants us to use them for His glory. Dirty your towel up a little. It's okay. And yet, here we see the meekness of Jesus Christ with all His authority and position to serve other, uh, to, uh, that, he, that He had. He used it to serve others. That is meekness. Now, the problem is, we often in our life, we don't respond like Jesus did. We throw our towel aside. What do they, what do you, who do they think I am? Don't they realize I'm not washing feet? I went to Bible college. I'm a third generation Christian. Don't they know how much my family gives to the church? Jesus Christ realizing all his power, his divine authority, and he greater than any human being that's ever lived, when he realized who he was, He not only washed the feet of the disciples, but he went the next day and died a criminal's death and he did it for you. That's meekness. Thank God for the meekness of Jesus. May we, in our life, also display meekness. Can we forget about trying to climb and and, uh, try to make ourselves better and try to make people treat us right and demand our rights and just... Take on the humility and the meekness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in all his power and all his glory got down on his knees and washed some filthy, disgusting feet. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We see in the Bible very clearly the meekness of Jesus. I want to ask you today, are you meek? (coughs) How are you doing in this department? Are you a meek person? Are you a proud person? Do you demand that people treat you a certain way? Or are you looking to serve others? How's your meekness? You can judge that. God knows your heart. You know your heart. Judge that within yourself. Do a self-inventory right now and ask yourself, how's my meekness? As you stand along with me, heads bowed and eyes closed, she's going to begin to pray.